You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. All right. Uh, it's great to see everybody here this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Steve. I have the privilege of leading the leadership team here at Westside Church. And it is the greatest job in the world for me. And so I'm so glad that God has called uh, my wife Tara and I to come up here and be uh, uh, part of this church. We're not it, we're part of it. Uh, I'm glad that God is uh, growing this community. I'm glad this community is healthy and and strong. And um, the the ministry of this church fits our community very well. And um, we're not the only church that loves God and loves His Word in this area. There's a lot of churches... Uh, that proclaim the name of Jesus well, and I pray with some pastors in this area, have for years and years, uh, we get together every month and pray uh, for each other, for each other's ministries, Uh, there's a wonderful sense of unity in the kingdom in this region, and uh, I'm just so glad to be part of it, glad you're here today, got a couple of um, uh, things I want to take care of before we get into the message today, I'm going to talk just for a couple minutes about who we are at Westside, our church government. Uh, some of you sometimes wonder how things are run behind the scenes, and I'm going to give you a little bit of that uh, right now. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Peter says, I want to exhort you elders as a fellow elder. Uh, so he's speaking to elders, and that Greek word is presbyteros. Uh, it means mature ones, and he says, I'm a fellow elder. Well, Peter was also an apostle, but he was also an elder in the, in the Jerusalem church, it appears. And um, he said, I want to uh, encourage you as a fellow elder to shepherd the flock of God well. That word shepherd is a Greek word, poimen, which is translated as shepherd or pastor. A lot of times you've heard uh, pastor is referred to as a shepherd, that kind of thing. That's the reason is it's the same word in Greek, and to lead and to shepherd a flock. And And then he said, uh, exercising oversight. And so that's their job description, is exercising oversight over the whole household and its affairs, so to speak. That word oversight is episkopos. And that sounds like a familiar word. So does presbyteros, uh, presbyterian, episkopos, episcopalian. That's where some of those words came to be. Uh, But here's here's what we have here. We have, who are they? They're the mature ones. What do they do? They exercise oversight. That's government's. Uh, over the whole uh, church. And how do they do it? They do it with a shepherd's heart. And it's not a, a, a shepherd like from Australia where they get on a motorbike and take the muffler off and get so noisy and uh, scare the bedickens out of the, out of the sheep and drive them from behind. No, this is a Middle Eastern shepherd where they go before the sheep and they lay their body down across the entrance of the cave and they would give and sacrifice their life for their sheep. That's the kind of shepherd that Jesus is, the great shepherd that David spoke about in Psalm 23. So they're the mature ones, they exercise oversight, and they do it with a tender, loving shepherd's heart. Uh, By the way, that's a great uh, job description of the leadership team in the home, a godly mom and dad. Who are they, the mature ones? What do they do? They exercise oversight over the whole house and its affairs. How do they do it with a tender shepherd's heart, gently leading those that are with young, the prophet says. So that's the leadership we see. We see elders as the government team uh, in the life of the church. Go a little ahead of myself here, uh, Joe, if you want to try to f- follow me. 
eldership team, the elders govern. And what does that mean? That's direction and discipline and doctrine. Uh, the direction is where we're headed. That's our vision, the direction this church is going. We can't go every direction. We don't have enough time to go every direction. We don't have enough time to do every good thing. We only have enough time to do the things that God has called us to do. Uh, the doctrine, what is taught from the front here, what we believe and embrace as a church, and the discipline to keep things done uh, decently and in order, that's a job description for the eldership team. So the elders govern. Then we have a leadership team. The leadership team is comprised of the elders and the deacons. The elders and the deacons. And so this is leadership. And what is, when we're talking about leadership, we're not talking about leadership that you may have experienced in the world. You might have encountered abusive leadership. You might have encountered leadership that was uh, very hierarchical and, and you became uh, you know, uh, more and more important you know, as you climb this ladder of leadership. No, we see leadership not on, as a triangle uh, where you're working your way to the pinnacle, or it's not an upside-down triangle. Some churches are like that, where, where the leadership works their way down, and, and uh, they're supporting you know, the whole church at the top, which uh, uh, governs what the leaders do. But we see the leadership triangle on this church as on its side, moving forward. It's constantly moving, and the leaders are not better or worse or anything else. They're not, uh, they just simply have a different function. And what they're saying is, follow me as I follow Christ. So leaders are leaders by example. And so that's the elders, elders and the, their wives and the, and the deacons. And together they make up the leadership team and they're leading by example. Then we have the most important team in the church. And I'm saying that sincerely and truthfully and we teach that. The most important team in this church is the ministry team. The ministry team is comprised of the saints and the elders and the deacons who are also uh, saints. And you may have grown up in a church where a saint is a dead person that had three miracles happen to him. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that if you have bent your knee to the lordship of Jesus Christ, you are a saint. You're a Christian. You're a believer. And you have a responsibility because he's called us to be a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. All of us have ministry in us. And so uh, the uh, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher in Ephesians 4, their job is to equip the saints for the works of service. So the ministry is not uh, just relegated to the prose, so to speak, because you don't see in the New Testament anywhere clergy and laity. You only see Christians sold out for Jesus, representing him in whatever field of influence that he's given to them. And so that's what we teach and preach here. So the most important team is the saints. They uh, share the love of Jesus with their neighbors and friends and sphere of influence. They can lay hands on the sick and, and see God heal them. They can visit the sick in the hospital. They can visit people in homes. They can open up their homes and be hospitable. That's the ministry of the saints. The word ministry... And serving is the same word in the Greek. Some people say, oh, I don't want to do that serving stuff. I want to minister. Like this. This is just like this big reverberation word of minister. No, ministry and serving is exact same word. Uh, you see it in Acts chapter 6 when Peter says it's not good for us to neglect the ministry of the word to serve tables. Ministry and word, that, that's a little confusing for us. That's the same word in Greek. Diakoneo and diakonos. To be a minister, to be to minister. To be a servant, to serve. To be a deacon or to deacon. 
Those are all nouns and verbs that mean exactly the same thing. So we see in the New Testament, we see two offices in local churches. There's elders and there's deacons. That's the office of an elder, the office of a deacon. And some of you have leadership on you, but God has not called you to leadership in the church. He's called you to leadership in your sphere of influence. Don't leave the sphere that God's called you to to do something for which you think it might be a promotion or something better. Uh, only, only go where God has called you. I remember uh, as a young uh, leader in our church, um, not the leader, but a leader in the church, and the pastor, traveling minister came in several times, and he always talked about his job was the best job in the world, and this was the spout where the glory came out, and and, uh, you know, so people were clamoring to get in this spot right here. Let me tell you, this might be the spot where the glory comes out for me, but it's not for you. Your spot where the glory comes out is where God has called you. And the most holy thing you could do, the most impactful thing to do for you to do is to do what God has called you to do and be where he's placed you. And to see the glory of God in your sphere of influence as a firefighter, or as a teacher, or as a government worker, or as a mom, or as a student, whatever it is, to see the glory of God working in your sphere of influence. So uh, we have the privilege uh, from time to time uh, to set in uh, new leaders in the church, new elders and new deacons. Whenever we set elders in, by the way, we have uh, guys on the apostolic team come in and set them in because we see that in Scripture. We never see once in the New Testament elders setting in elders. We see guys from the outside, seasoned men uh, of God who come in uh, to speak into the life of the local church, uh, which we have a relationship with a team called uh, New Covenant Ministries International. You'll see that from time to time. Uh, But next Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to set in some new deacons here uh, at Westside Church. The new deacons that we're considering, I I want you to look at their pictures carefully. Uh, it's Chuck and Kelly Thuring, uh, Matt and Hillary Anderson, uh, Brian and Casey Webb, uh, Matt and Margot Frost, and Micah and Kelly Anderson. And so, so those five, now here's the thing. We've talked to them, we've interviewed them, they've uh, sat under a lot of teaching of uh, the church, they embrace the vision and values of the church. They're all serving already. And some of you might have thought, they're not leaders already. They're not deacons already. Uh, that should be the case. should be a very natural thing uh, to do. But here's the thing. When we announce them up at the front uh, that we're going to set them in, why don't we set them in now? Here's the reason why. Because we need to have unity among our congregation, among our body. And so if any of you has a biblical reason why some, any of these five couples should not uh, be... Uh, prayed over and set into leadership, then come to me. Don't go to your friend. Don't gossip. Don't talk. Uh, don't do anything. And if you don't like their cooking or their gravy or their, you know, the way they mow their lawn, that's not a biblical reason. You have to go to Titus chapter uh, 1 or 1 Timothy chapter 3 to look at the uh, qualifications for leadership and, um, and then come to me as the team leader and say, I have this concern and we'll talk about it, all right? Okay, so Lord willing, next week uh, it'll be a great celebration of a Sunday. All right, the end (laughs) for that. So next service we get to dedicate uh, some kids. That's going to be fun. All right, we are in our series. uh, Well, it's it's sort of a, it's not really a series. It's a preview to our theme this year 
uh, that we believe that God has called us to go as believers to go. So let's just uh, pray right now. Father, I pray that you would impact each one of us where we're at. Each one of us has come this morning to hear from you. We don't want to go home the same way that we came. We want to go home a little more insightful, a little more full of your spirit, a little more equipped, uh, a little bit better to do uh, and serve you this week and, and, and to be strengthened and to be encouraged and to be comforted. And for some of us here this morning, this morning is going to be a pivotal day in our life and we're going to remember this day the rest of our life. For most of us, it's going to be another great day to come together as, as your body and bride and to worship you and to hear from you. Father, I pray that you bless uh, this preach now and that we would all receive something for us uh, that you desire for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this theme of going, and we'll say it over and over, we'll say it all year, the Great Commission, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, all ethnos, all people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded, and lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age, all right? So we all must uh, embrace the Great Commission because that's what God has called it. That's the most important thing he's called us to do, is to fulfill the Great Commission. Tell everybody about Jesus, and not just make converts, uh, but make disciples, to walk them through the steps of maturity and until they're a fully functioning member of the body of Christ and using their gifts to serve and, and uh, doing what they can, where they can, uh, as they hear uh, God leading them. Uh, we're not all going to l- move away from Placerville. How can you go if you, don't, if you don't move away, if you stay? It's our attitude that God is talking about, this going mentality. When you leave these doors of this church, you are going into the mission field. This is not the mission field. This is where we get equipped. This is where we get encouraged and strengthened. Our strategy is kind of like the, the huddle. There's a couple great games uh, of football today, but you're going to see them huddle, and it's, it's not just to catch their breath, which they're doing, but it's to get a plan of action to go out there and do what they're called to do and fulfill their function, and they all have different functions on the team. And so this is the huddle where we get a pat on the back, sometimes a slap on the head, you know, and we, and we get a, a shot of Gatorade, and, and we get a plan, and we go out there and execute the plan. So that's what this is. The sad thing is that most people get hurt in the huddle. That ought not to be. This should be the safe place where people are loved and, and accepted, and, and uh, we walk through mistakes and, and missteps and things like that with each other, and we love each other. We're for each other. Out there is the game. That's where we get bruised and battered and beat up. And here is the safe place. And that's what we, as much as possible, endeavor by the grace of God to have a strong, healthy local church. So we're talking today about leaving. Um, A story here. In his reign, King Frederick William III of Prussia found himself in trouble. Wars had been costly. And in trying to build the nation and rebuild the nation, he was seriously short of finances. He couldn't disappoint his people and to calculate or capitulate to the enemy was unthinkable. After careful reflection, he decided to ask the women of Prussia to bring in their jewelry of gold and silver 
to be melted down for their country. For each ornament received, he determined to exchange a decoration of bronze or iron as a symbol of his gratitude. Each decoration would be inscribed, I gave gold for iron, 1813. The response was overwhelming. Even more important, these women prized their gifts from the king more highly than their former jewelry. The reason, of course, is clear. The decorations were proof that they had sacrificed for their king. Indeed, it became unfashionable to wear jewelry, and thus was established the order of the Iron Cross. Members wore no ornaments except a cross of iron for all to see. When Christians come to their king, they too exchange the flourishes of their former life for a cross. So, I love that story. The first word of the Great Commission is go. Unless you read King James, it's therefore go. All right? But the first call to action is go. The first word in the Abrahamic covenant 4,000 or 2,000 years earlier, 4,000 years ago, is go. And here's, here it is right here in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Remember we talked about Haran last week? Abraham's brother was Haran. His father was Terah. God called, or we don't know if God called Terah. Terah left Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the promised land, to go to the land of Canaan, but he stopped in Haran and settled there. And um, I surmise that for some reason, Terah wanted to get to Canaan, but he stopped there because his son uh, Haran, and then they named the city apparently Haran, uh, they were there long enough. How, how often have we set out on our life's quest to get to the promises God has called us to, and something derails us. Maybe a huge financial crisis. Maybe it's a sickness or a death or, or, or a you know, re- relationship broken or something that's serious. And we stop and we settle there instead of going on and continuing on and fighting for the best that God has for us. His promises, His abundant life that Jesus promised us. We stop, we hear a call to go, and then we, something derails us. We stop and settle. This is good enough. I'm happy. I'm not going to fight anymore. I'm just going to fill out my days on a rocking chair, spending my parents' inheritance and making no difference in anybody's life. Instead of going, keep on going to the promises that God has given us. Anyway, so... Abraham went as the Lord told him. I love that. He took his wife Sarah's nephew Lot, all the possessions they accumulated, the people they acquired in Haran, set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. In other words, they got to where they were going. I love that. 
So I want to pull these three little things out of this, and we'll uh, finish it uh, next week, talking about the Abrahamic covenant. The first thing is, God told Abraham, leave your country. Leave your country. Now, for us, when you're thinking about this, yes, he told Abraham, Abraham to leave his country. For us, think about not God's calling us all to go to Zimbabwe or Malaysia or Maui or something like that. God uh, might be calling us here. But what does this mean? It's talking about leaving in priority, in our thinking, in our loyalty, as compared to the kingdom of God. It's talking about leave your country as compared to the kingdom of God. In our country, the last 150 years, there's been a very dangerous marriage of our national pride and the kingdom of God. And they've merged into one thing of mom, apple pie, God, and country. They're not the same. We live in a great country with a great democracy, a republic, a democratic republic. And it's a great experiment. For hundreds of years, we've been able to prosper and finance missionaries around the world, all those kind of things. We have a great representative form of government. I love my country. I served for my country. I served my country. And... Um, but it's not the kingdom of God. In my country, I'm a citizen and I have a vote. That's what that is. In the kingdom, as a citizen of the kingdom, it's not a democracy because it's a kingdom. And in a kingdom, you have a king. And in a, in a kingdom, you have one king, except Narnia. They have four kings <laughs> and queens. And you have one king. And so when you have a king, you have subjects. I am not the king. You can't enter the kingdom of heaven until you choose not to be king anymore or queen of your own life. You have this opportunity that God chose to give you to rule your own life here. And you willingly step off your throne and invite him to take the place of king. So there's only one king in the kingdom. So even though we live in the United States of America for us, we're also citizens of heaven if we're believers. We have to keep those things separate. And when God is saying, I want, when you become a believer, he said, I want the kingdom to define you. I want the kingdom to be more important. I want you to leave your country. It doesn't mean you can't serve your country. It doesn't mean you don't live here. It doesn't mean all those things. It doesn't mean you don't love your country. It means in comparison, you love the kingdom more. That's your priority. This is eternal, the kingdom of God. Here is temporal. It's just a way station. We're just pilgrims passing through. So we leave our country. Patriotism is great, but not if it usurps the kingdom of God. And I have a lot of friends who have moved all around the world. And Patrick and Vanessa are among them. And they served here in this church. And they came uh, from South Africa. And they're, they're, they have their permanent resident status now. And they're all, almost on their way to becoming United States citizens. You know why? Because, uh, well, America's a great place. But they want to be citizens of this nation. They want to own this nation. I have other friends who have moved all over the place. And when they move to a new country... I have a lot of friends in South Africa, Australia, New Zealand, some in India, uh, Scotland, England, uh, things like that. And you know what those countries have? They have this game called rugby, and they have national teams. 
It's like we have teams in cities, sports teams and things like that, and Americans move around quite a bit, so there's all kinds of fans of different football teams in this room, and it's a healthy, friendly banter that we have. It's just part of our culture. In those countries, you have one team, and that's your nation. And if you know anything about rugby, you know that New Zealand just won. They're all blacks. They, they won the Rugby World Cup, and it's a big deal. But when we have guys who leave uh, New Zealand to come to England to minister, they leave the All Blacks behind and they embrace their new team. Why? Why? Because they want to reduce the barriers to tell people about Jesus. If your biggest flag you wave is your political party, and that's all you ever post about on, online and things like that, and that's the biggest thing that you do, and that's the most important thing to do, what you're doing it literally is you're throwing up barrier, 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 and, and you're knocking out all kinds of people that you'll ever be able to deal with and minister to. When, when uh, Hudson Taylor went to China, he was ridiculed for dressing like the Chinese adopting their customs, learning their language, shaving his head except for one long ponytail, and eating their food, and, and living among them. And he, he lost all kinds of support because he was supposed to take culture to them. And he said, I don't care about the culture. I want to take the kingdom to them. And I'm going to overcome those burdle, bur, uh, burdens, hurdles and burdens at the same time. <laughs> Burdles, a new word. Put it in the dictionary. All right. That becomes a burden to, uh, or a hindrance to us uh, um, sharing Jesus. So you have some friends that you want to tell about Jesus. And you're, you are um, praying for them. And there's some hurdles. They might not believe in God. That's a hurdle. They, they not, might not believe that Jesus is Almighty God. That's a hurdle. And so those who study this say that people were, are willing to cross two or three barriers to come to Jesus. But they're not going to cross ten barriers to come to Jesus. So you know what our job is? Our job is to cross the barriers and get within two or three of them. Without sacrificing our, our morality or our uh, sin, without sinning. Uh, but there's a whole lot of things that we can lay down and leave our country and so that we can uh, share the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? It might be our national pride. It might be your language. It might be your culture. It might be your favorite team. It might be the familiar, what you're used to, all those things. Jesus said in Matthew 28, Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Here's a question for us. Are we planning to go, yet willing to stay? That's where we should be. We are planning to go. He's commanded us to go. I want to go. I want to have this going mentality. And if it's necessary to the nations. Some of us don't want to ask God that question because he might say go. So we're just going to refuse to even ask him. Some of us, God might be calling us. And in the back of our mind right now, we're thinking, how can I simplify it to... Uh, when, when Paul and Andrew or somebody else from this church goes and plants a new church, how can, how can I go with them if God's calling? But we go, no, I'm not going to ask you that question, God, because you might say go. And I like it here. When we first moved to this uh, uh, area, region, somebody told us, they said the next box that, has, that leaves this house is going to have me in it. 
Think about it. That's the culture we live in. People move here to settle. Believers must be able to leave that and have this going priority in our thinking, even if we're here, even if we stay here. We're going uh, to the workplace. We're going to our schools. We're going into our neighborhoods and families. We're engaging at, at Walmart and Kmart and Safeway and, and uh, uh, Save Mart. There's no Albertsons anywhere, right? And Wherever we go, we're engaging. Um, are we planning to go yet willing to stay? God, I'm ready to go, but I'm willing to stay. But here's what most people do. They're willing to go, but they're planning to stay. Oh, yeah, that'd be nice to go, but no, I'm planning to stay. My feet are in concrete. I am not going anywhere. When Jesus commanded us to go. Uh, this next thing God said to Abram is leave your people. That's leave your household. That's your group or your tribe or those you hang out with, your peeps, your church family. Leave that behind, your identity, uh, denominational uh, divisions. I'm not adding to the word of God, but I put a little quote to lead us into a scripture verse here. And I think they tie well together. Advancing the kingdom requires people who will give up everything, including their country, their people, and their family. It's difficult, but doable, because how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent. That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Isn't that great? I think the true test of any church is not in how many people it seats, but in how many people it sends. So, and not just people starting churches or leading churches, but when you start a, a church, it's, it's nice to have people in the seats. Healthy people. <laughs> Healthy people. It's a whole lot easier to start a church with 40 people in the seats than no people or your wife and your kids. It's, it's great to start a church when you have people that work and have jobs and can pay tithes and support the work. It's great to have worshipers, people who can lead worship or, or watch kids and children's ministry or whatever. It's great to have. There's all kinds of people need it uh, to go. And God blesses that. Uh, the third thing God told Abraham was leave your family. So, man, oh, man. I'll tell you what, this is a hard one. probably the most difficult thing for believers to hear and to understand and to own it or embrace it and then do it. Leave your family. Now, once again, we're not talking, talking about chumping your family and never seeing them again. We're talking about in priority, in, in placing the kingdom. Jesus said, you can't, you can't follow me unless you obey my commands. He said, leave everything behind you. Matthew uh, 12 while he was talking to the crowd, Jesus, 
was talking to the crowd. His mother and brothers showed up. They were outside trying to get a message to him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and brothers are out there wanting to speak with you. Jesus didn't respond directly, but said, who do you think my mother and brothers are? Then he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, look closely. These are my mother and brothers. Obedience is thicker than blood. The person who obeys my heavenly father, father's will is my brother and sister and mother. You know what some people did? They turned around and walked away. It was too much for them. Jesus said, this is God's will for me. You have to, have to, have to hear. We're not saying, chump your family. Leave your kids. defend. I'm sorry, you're seven, eight. You can take care of yourself from now on. I'm going to go accomplish the will. We're not saying that. We're not saying that we don't need godly families and healthy families. We're saying in priority, I'm going to take my whole family with me on this going attitude. And we're not going to fill up our lives so busy that there's not one single moment for the kingdom. That's what he's talking about. Luke 9, 61, 62. Another person said, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. But first, let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. A lot of us don't know what that really means. In those days, everybody knew what a cross was. If Jesus lived in 15th century France, he would say, take up your guillotine and follow me every day. It was an instrument of torture and execution. That's what the cross was. And when a person was carrying their cross and took up their cross, they were dead man walking. There was no reprieve. There was no going back. There was no stay of execution. There was no appeal. They were dead. And that is the picture of us as as Christians. And a lot of people, they wear the cross, they forget. What that means is you have died to yourself and you are living for him and for his kingdom. That's what that means. Uh, The Life Application Bible Commentary says, No great success comes without sacrifice. Ask champion athletes or concert musicians what they had to give up to attain their level of expertise. Ask a mother if she has had to forego some of her own plans and desires in order to do what is best for her children. And she'll tell you that she has. Nothing worthwhile comes without sacrifice. And that applies to Christian discipleship as well. Of course, there are incomparable benefits to having a relationship with God, but they don't come without a price. Jesus said that he, the Son of Man, didn't even have a home to call a place to call his own. What sacrifices has God asked you to make in view of the much greater privilege of following Jesus? Earthly success, possessions, and recognition must not deter us from serving others. John the Baptist said, He must increase and I must decrease. The message on that same verse says, This is the assigned moment for him to move into the center while I slip off to the sidelines. And Jim Elliott, who was a missionary, a young guy in his 20s, gave his life along with four friends, five guys killed in uh, Ecuador by the Alca Indians in uh, 1961, I believe. And they, they were killed because they wanted to tell people about Jesus. And he's the one that gave that quote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. 
to gain that which he cannot lose. What we're giving and sacrificing is only temporal anyway. We're giving it. Sure, I'll give the temporal to gain the eternal. To gain that eternal life with Jesus. That is amazing. We may never go, but are we willing to go? We may never go, but are we preparing to go? That when he does call, we'll say, here am I, Lord, send me. That's amazing. The promise God gave to Abraham is, we're going to get into more next week. He said, I'll make you into a great nation and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Through the lineage of Abraham, Jesus came into this world to die for us, to die in our place, to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could be made right with God. God did answer that promise to Abraham. Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I think it's interesting to note that the children of Israel, when they were released from bondage from Egypt and Moses gave them the law. On that day, they rebelled. On the day that God gave them the law, the tablets, they rebelled, and 3,000 people were killed that day. That's when law was instituted. On the day that the Holy Spirit came, the day of Pentecost, when grace was poured out upon people, 3,000 people got saved. What a difference. God's grace, the new covenant, is just poured all over us to walk in His grace. Not because we have to. We don't go because we have to. We go because we get to and because we have a life of gratitude. Are we all in? Are we all in? Are we there? Father, thank you for this word. I pray that there would be no condemnation, but there would be a a very exciting challenge. I pray that we would meditate on your word here. And even now, God, we want to be a people that are all in. We want to be a people that have this going. The things of this earth will grow strangely dim, the the song says, in comparison to you. Thank you, Father. I pray that the kingdom would be the brightest uh, shining star coming out from us rather than our own plans and our own agenda. God, we love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.